Hola. <laughs> that just came to me. Hi, this is Jen Grant, and you're Hi, listening. Hi, this is Graham K. Hi, you are listening. This is Adam Fox, and you're listening. This is to Dylan the... Mandelson, and you're listening to the. This is Brian Hat, and you are listening to the Julian. Hi, this is the word man of Alcatraz. Señores, señores. Hey, everybody! This is Little Darren Frost. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Fabio Mantovan, and you're listening to Julian Dion. This is Dave Sidhu, and you're listening to the Julian Dion Comedy Podcast. Podcast hour. Showcase. You are listening to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. Hola. Snap Attack. Here we are, episode 15, coming at you from Lemon Press Studios in the Distillery District, downtown Toronto. Hey, what's happening? How you doing? Episode 15, my guests. Uh, and today is actually the fifth and final installment of the West Coast tape, so that will conclude that series. And my guest today, Mary Jo Dion, my sister, accomplished writer and overall creative and fun person she's fun we had a great episode our longest episode yet it's a it's a doozy could have made it a two-parter but decided to uh decided to make it a one-parter just a long one so then you get to decide when you you want to take a break but it's a long one we get in there we go deep we touch on a little bit of everything Thanks again for listening, always. I appreciate it and appreciate you. And, uh, oh, thanks to everyone who came out to Say What for the Julian Dion Comedy Hour live show this uh, past Wednesday, November 5th. We had a great show. Go to facebook.com slash jdcomedyhour. I'll put up some pictures. It was a good time. Happens every two weeks. Make sure to come check it out if you're in Toronto. Otherwise, I think I've mentioned this before, but fly down. It's worth it. It's worth the airfare. It's that good of a show. If you could do me one solid, I ask a lot, but uh, it helps big time. If you could subscribe and rate on iTunes, leave comments and rate rate it. Rate the pod and email the pod, pod at jdcomedyhour.com. That's that. Let me tell you, if you've never noticed before, if you go to the end of every episode, there are uh, some bloopers. You may not know, you may hear the uh, outro song and just shut her down, but uh, keep listening. There's always some fun little bloopers and outtakes. So if you want to uh, go back to any of the previous episodes, just 
start playing the episode and skip all the way to the end, the last minute usually. Little outtake. So do yourself a favor. Get get behind the scenes of this thing and go to the end of each episode and uh, listen in. That's it. I don't have much for you today by way of monologue because it, it is it is a long interview and it's an interesting one. We do a very good, uh, a very entertaining Mariah or Yoko. But uh, so I'm I'm just gonna we'll just do this. We'll just get into it right away. It's a long epi, so let's get right to the meat of it. So uh, let's get now to my chat with my sister, Mary Jo Dion. You and me belong, just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People, I need to lose. Sing a little song, then take a shower. Julian Dion, comedy This episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour, episode 15, that's the fifth and final installment of the West Coast Tapes, is brought to you once again by Echo One Photography. Toronto listeners, I'm talking to you. If you're looking to get some headshots done or any photography needs fulfilled, well, go to Echo One Photography. They'll do a job, and a good job. They won't only do a job, they'll do a good job. Yeah, there's a ringing endorsement for you. If you own a business in Toronto and you're looking to get some photography for product photography for your e-commerce, or I could start over, but I'm not going to. I'm going to plow through. If you own a business in Toronto, you're looking to get some product photography for e-commerce or advertising purposes, look no further. Echo One Photography does that too. Email Eugene, that's E-U-G-E-N-E, at echoonephotography.com and enter JDCH in the subject line. Do it today. Years before, in high school, I'm walking down the street with the guy I'm seeing at the time, and a pregnant lady passes us. And he says, there's nothing more beautiful than a pregnant lady. They just glow. I'm like, right. (laughs) That's not a glow. That's like her life as she knew it, sleeping out of her pores. time I just don't get it the whole baby thing I think a baby Bjorn is just a really tiny tennis player (laughs) I feel sorry for people when they tell me that the night before they slept like a baby right I think it means they shit themselves (laughs) and woke up screaming (laughs) no cone-headed human alien is going to camp out in my innards for nine months and then make a violent exit from my (laughs) hoo-ha. Even at the age of 10, and this is 20 years before it's hip, I'm my own one-person Brangelina. (laughs) I see the gut-wrenching ads on TV and I yell to the screen, forget that just 35 cents a day, I am coming for you. All right, and that, of course, is my guest today. She sits in front of me in uh, the ink pad. I'm coming to you from Deep Cove, British Columbia. You might be able to hear some rain drops. Rare for this area of Canada. (laughs) So we're sitting in the uh, ink pad, and that was my guest. That was her performance of her one-woman show, her acclaimed one-woman show entitled Glowing, which she ran at the Vancouver Fringe last September and 
at the Winnipeg Fringe in July, right? You got it. You got her. I will get to her bio in just a minute, but before before we do, do you want to do the thing? What thing am I doing? Just just, just say yes. Do what? Just say yes. Yes, I do want okay. to do the thing. Uh, like I said, I will properly introduce her in a sec, but before, um, let's do let's do this. We're going to do uh, time now for another installment of Are You Mariah or Yoko? And now, Julian Dion presents Are You Mariah or Yoko? Where we find out from each of your celebrity guests, is it vocal range or vocal strain? All right, time now for Mariah or Yoko, as the jingle suggests. And uh, we're going to do now our first ever cross-country Mariah or Yoko. So usually we always do it with Jen Grant. She is in Toronto, and I sit here with my guest, Mary Jo, in the ink pad in Deep Cove, BC. So we're going to call Jen and do it over the phone. That's right. We're uh, progressive, breaking barriers. We're calling Jen right now. Hello? Okay, Jen Grant. Hey. Hello. Oh, uh, I like the sound of your voice. You sound like you're going to do terribly. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Okay, so we're going to do the first ever cross-country, Mariah or Yoko. Exciting. And the song of choice. Actually, before we get into it, could you quickly, once again, tee it up for the listeners? Just a short, quick description of the... Quick of one. The s- yep. No problem. You know, when you're listening to your music and you have your headphones on and you are singing along by yourself, you're really giving it everything you've got and you think you sound great, but it's really that you're listening to this professional recording back (laughs) into your ears. So I wanted to put this to the test and challenge other people to uh, sing with me and decide who's better at doing it. And I know this is a conflict. This is going to be a hard one for you, Julian, because that's your sister. Biased. Do not play favorites with Mary Jo. Jen, like it's come down it comes down to talent you know that was just a sign of weakness that was such a sign of insecurity that you had to preempt that yeah well listen i just want to call spade a spade so listen. okay so the song of choice wait 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 one more thing um sorry to take control um mary Mm joe uh a lot i don't have to tell you this but enthusiasm counts for points too it's not just vocal ability it does oh i don't know if i want to play then (laughs) okay all right, so the song of choice is Kind and Generous by Natalie Merchant, and guest decides who goes first, and Mary Jo decided oh. she would go first. Yep, 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 okay. yep, yep, yep. So um, here we go. Oh, 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 what's happening? Yeah, now, so you can't hear Make anything Make sure it's right nice now. and loud in there at those earbuds. Okay, so just to remind everyone once again, uh, Mary Jo can only hear the music. She cannot hear the sound of her voice. <clears throat> Natalie Merchant, Kind and Generous. Here we go. Tell me if it's too loud, okay? So far, there's nothing. Okay, love it. Keep going. Can it go louder? <laughs> that's as loud as it yeah, goes. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> love it. La 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 You've been so kind 
kind and generous. I don't know how you keep on giving. For your kindness, I'm in debt to you. For your selflessness, (laughs) my admiration. For everything you've done, I'm bound to. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I'm bound to thank you for it. La 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 I don't know how you keep on giving. For your <laughs> kindness, I'm in debt to you. And I never could have come this far without you. Oh I want God. to thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I feel like I did really well. <laughs> You actually did. I feel like I did really awesome. You actually did. Oh my god. <clears throat> okay, that was that amazing. Was the longest ever. That's the longest ever. We usually do twenty seconds. We no. thought we'd do one minute for this one because it got it took a little longer to get to the uh, to the such meat. Beautiful uh, uh, like range, but, acapella but range. Just to describe to the listeners what was happening. I was trying to interject at some point, but there's no point because she can't hear me uh, through the mics and her eyes were closed. She did not need to look at the lyrics. Yeah. The whole time, the whole time her eyes were closed. I have laid down the gauntlet, Ms. Grant. You have to do it with your eyes closed. Uh, Let's do this now. Okay. I'll cut you after a minute. Okay. Let me know when to start. Yeah. Start her up. Okay. Never done this before over the phone. I can't hear you, just in case. Yeah, that's a minute. Are you back? Okay. Can you hear us? Oh, my 
my yeah. god. I can't hear it now. I can hear you because I paused it. Oh my god. Okay. Oh my god, John, you are Mariah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no denying. <laughs> uh, that was pretty funny because while you were doing it, Mary Jo mouthed the words, This is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, hilarious. Uh, okay, that was pretty good. First ever cross country, Mariah or Yoko. And um, as per usual, I judge, I get to decide. Oh, I know. Oh, I mean, no, they don't. <laughs> right they don't. now. Yeah, right yeah. Actually, yeah, we'll hand it over to you, listeners. Just call uh, call us right now. We'll take caller 11. We're going to wait. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to have to... Okay, um, well, a lot of factors come into play yeah, here. What, what Jen, are, yeah, what are the judging factors? Jen was over the phone. Uh, she ha- She's sick. Oh, my God. Lame. Yeah, cute. Super Lame. Lame. Uh, but the enthusiasm on both parts were there. You were yours was pretty good, I have to say. You gave it a lot Who of are heart. You yours, Me. Uh, Jen, uh, uh, Mary Jo. Okay. Because <laughs> 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 the eyes were closed, and you did the full song, yeah. which is the first. Yeah. And can I also point? Are we allowed to like make a case for ourselves? Yeah, of course. Jen actually said, "Is it a minute yet?" Right. Like, where's you think you think that's enthusiasm? <laughs> Jen, no, the one, no, 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 Jen. I'm you actually said to me, "Enthusiasm counts." Okay. No, if I'm you really love doing something, though, time does is bears no essence. There's nothing. You it know, just doesn't matter. You know that I have to deal with Julian in my life, so I didn't want him to be mad at me because he's mm, really mean. Yeah, lame. I um, went over. No, you know what? If you hadn't brought up that enthusiasm counts, I would say, okay, fine. But you're like, is it a minute yet? As if. All right. I'm going to have to call it. I'm going to have to uh, give it to Mary Jo. Oh, okay. nepotism. Anyway. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> nepotism thank you thank you thank you yeah but if he'd said you i'd be like oh my god who you have to sleep with to win in this uh (laughs) so yeah no i think that's fair yeah it makes total sense yeah i'm sure you do think it's fair because you won uh jen for stars you could have been practicing all this time i didn't even know about the segment nah practicing every song okay well thanks to jen grant and that was our first ever installment uh, cross country (laughs) are you mariah or yoko Okay, here we go now. She is newly crowned Mariah, and she is the editor-in-chief of Best Friends Magazine, a regular contributor to Modern Dog Magazine, former contributing editor for (laughs) The Block Magazine. You'll know this. I struggle with words on the podcast. Mm -hmm. It's an ongoing theme. And in life. I have to keep it consistent. You make it sound like you struggle with words in the podcast, like that's a unique thing. (laughs) You struggle with words in life. I do. And uh, her work has appeared in fashion magazines. She's a self-made freelance. She started her background in freelance copywriting, but that has uh, blossomed into many more arenas. Mm. If we could, I'm a hockey player. If I may, ringette actually. Her material has been described as fresh, bold, and full of energy by uh, the director of the Ellen DeGeneres Show. That's right, hells yeah. <laughs> And uh, also, her interview style has been described as, well, her personally, as the best interviewer uh, this person had ever experienced. That would be Cloris Leachman, y'all. She's the real deal. Her copywriting um, portfolio includes the likes of, this is like the most extensive bio I've ever read, uh, Lululemon and Night Canada, 
she was the f- uh, finalist for Vancouver's funniest <laughs> female comedian and Vancouver's funniest person with a day job. She does it literally all. Literally. All, literally. No. All. Literally. 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 Anyway, I str- I've struggled through that because it, it's a lot. Usually my intros consist of like two credits and we go right into it. Mary Jo Dion, her best credit is that she is my sister. Yeah. And I don't see that on the website anywhere. That's weird. Um, you know, I don't even want to stop talking, though, about the fact how ill-prepared you were to introduce <laughs> me. <laughs> Forget the brother-sister thing. I walked into the ink pad five minutes ago. You're like, yeah, what's your URL again? Well, <laughs> who says URL anyway? Oh, uh, sorry. What's your, what's the word? Site? Uh, what's your website? tweet? Yeah, what's your tweet? <laughs> uh, well, it's because I know you. Obviously, you're my you sister. Clearly well with that <laughs> intro. That was smooth. No, but I wanted to I, get I it right. I don't think I've ever felt closer to you. <laughs> Honestly. What's your name? Who are you? Uh, um, and where are you staying tonight? Because I know it's not my place. Maybe I'm debating staying in this place, actually. The ink pad. Let's describe the ink pad. I sort of mm. did in Tuesday's mm. monologue, but it's a little sort of art studio cabin yeah. detached. Yeah. Little. Yeah. How many square footage you? Say, I don't know because I don't know square feet. I would say it's like 483 square millimeters. So can you imagine I talk in square millimeters? I'm so into real estate. Um, no, you know what? I w- would you say this is 200 square feet? Probably. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, just open, built into the side of a mountain. Yeah, Mount Seymour. We're at the base of Mount Seymour. More so for listeners not familiar with British Columbia, Mount Seymour was the location for the 2010 Olympic media setup. I believe the bulk of the media was set up at Mount Seymour. Maybe someone's going to listen to this and say, no, that was gross, you idiot. Julian, get better guests. But um, yeah, Mount Seymour was, is one of our three local mountains. And we're sitting here at the base of it, and it's a rainy day. And we've been warned for the last 24 hours that, what, Hurricane Anna is on its yeah. way. So my husband's like in full like emergency preparedness mode, and it's been like trickles all day. Yeah. <laughs> it's a rapid yeah. denouement. A very rapid denouement. <laughs> very anticlimactic. Kind of um, like the intro you gave me, no offense. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll record another one and drop that. No, I'm going to keep it in. Mistakes and all. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I wanted to have you in, on the podcast, in the podcast, mm-hmm. sort of in, in it. it. We're in, enveloped. We're inside of it. Mm-hmm. And we're hugging right now. We are. So it's like the podcast is like, an, it's it's a, you know, yeah, an it's embrace. It's a cocoon. Of, it's a verbal embrace. Right. Mm-hmm. And, oh, unprofesh, phone <laughs> ringing. Okay. I'm all over the place right now. Unprofesh. <laughs> Holy shit. I wanted to have you on because uh, the the. The premise of the podcast is sort of just to have uh, creative, interesting people, and you're you definitely fall into um, one of those categories. You you're are, like you definitely fall into family. You're a people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, you, you've got an amazing um, career, and I mean, you've gone through so much adversity to get where you are today, and um, you're a huge inspiration on me. Mm. Um, I was a <laughs> Kleenex.com <laughs> No you are <laughs> That's, oh, thank you. When I quit my day job To t- uh, pursue comedy It was mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. Based on your influence well, Do we want to talk about That day at the coffee shop Let's do it That was a pivotal day That was a That pivotal was a great day. day I was Yes I was how what? old were you? How how 23. How, 23 years old in a three-piece suit. Yeah. Because it was a Tuesday, yeah. not because you were going to like some awards banquet that you were emceeing or a funeral. You, that that. <laughs> that's an awards banquet. That's a life awards banquet. Yeah. Um and we're sitting at the coffee shop and you're like, "Oh my god, what the hoo-ha am I doing with my life?" Yeah. You can say hell on this podcast. I don't by the way. no, I would never say that though in my real life. Oh. So okay. I'm not going to be something I'm not. I'll just impress you and the cool kids. Um, I remember the line leap and the net will appear mm-hmm. coming out of my mouth and you leapt. Yeah. Quit my job. That was on a, 
Was it a Tuesday? I felt like it was a Thursday. Oh, could be. I knew it started with tea. <laughs> Which is also what we were drinking. It was a Thursday, yeah. and oh yeah, <laughs> we were drinking tea. Yeah. And uh, by the Monday, I was uh, I had resigned from my job. Well, at least yeah. turned um, my letter in. And by the Monday, your hair had fully grown to your shoulders. Yeah, it was an incredible transformation. transformation. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> related. Okay, let's go back a little bit because the way I like to do it with my guests is sort of start and go through the trajectory of your your career. So. You went to university, uh, Mount A, and... Yeah, I went uh, to Mount Allison University, do my Bachelor of Arts, then mm-hmm. I went to uh, St. Mary's University, uh, Bachelor of Education. Sackville and then Halifax. Sackville, then Halifax, exactly. And I did my Bachelor of Education thinking that it was sort of that one-year way to always, for sure, no matter what risks I took in my life, I'll always have that whole leap in the net will appear. I'll always have a net. Okay, worst case, I can always be an English teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did do my teaching practicums. And I have to say, I actually really loved it, um, which surprised me. You did a lot. You did a lot of things. You dabbled in (laughs) because you taught. You were a flight attendant, which which we'll get into. But uh, tell the story about um, the the teacher that or the student that um, didn't want to listen to you because Leland. Oh, the one who didn't want to listen to me because I was his age. Yeah, Did I right. just tell the punchline? I kind of told the punchline. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So, yeah. So, after my Bachelor of Arts, I guess you graduate from your BA when you're around 21, if you do mm-hmm. it right out of grade 12. And so, in my Bachelor of Education, I just turned 22. So, I was in my practicum. But I ended up getting placed in, I believe, it was a grade 12 English class. So, a lot of these kids are like 18. Mm-hmm. And um, 17, 18. And so, one of the guys, I was telling him to sort of like, you know, focus or whatever my teacherly words were at the time. He's like... Miss Dion, how do you expect us to listen to you when you're like our age? He's zinger. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was another part of that. But, oh, yeah, because uh, you didn't think it was as funny. <laughs> okay, because I noticed that you fell flat. <laughs> right. um, I remember putting it into perspective of that's, the, that's, of yeah. his, Okay, so I think I was four years older than him Right, is when I did the math. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, do you hang out with 13-year-olds? He's like, uh, like no. And I was like, well, when, you were, when I was 17, you were 13. He's like, oh, okay, well, you are old then. Huzzah. Does that does that, yeah, that make it better? A little bit. Okay, not great. Not a great story. <laughs> Alrighty then. We'll edit that out. Okay. Um, so far, I think you should edit out my intro, <laughs> the conversation after the intro, you setting me up for a story that I haven't told in about eight years, so therefore I didn't remember as keenly as uh, apparently I should have. Um, okay. So we're here with Mary Jo Dion. <laughs> okay, so no you graduate. A relative. Yeah. And... Um, <clears throat> oh yeah did my bachelor of education right. mm-hmm. enjoyed the teaching part but i always have to say if teaching was just teaching teaching would be awesome but teaching's not just teaching it's that whole recess duty detention duty hall mm-hmm. monitor oh you want me to be the volleyball coach really <laughs> all, all that stuff i'm like i thought i was just supposed to talk about weathering heights right. weathering heights i could handle volleyball coaching i could not yeah so that was a very short-lived dabbling and uh, from there, what do, you, what do you do? Where does flight attending... Flight attending, um, where did that take place? Yeah. T- typically in the sky. <laughs> oh, geography joke. Um, flight attending took place in between Mount Allison, mm-hmm. so undergrad, and okay, before Bachelor of Education. Always wanted to be a flight attendant. Like, and, uh, desperately wanted to be a flight attendant. And was it like a disillusioning sort of experience? It was a rude awakening. Yeah? Yeah. It, it didn't work well for me at all. I, for starters... I had these visions of truly seeing the world on someone else's dime. Mm -hmm. And I applied to work with the now defunct Canadian Airlines. 
and uh, subsequently ended up being hired by their subsidiary, Air Atlantic. So while I had a lot of time in the sky, instead of going to like, you know, from Halifax to Toronto to Barcelona, I was going Halifax, Gander, Cornerbrook, Stephenville. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is just this, and that's by noon. And then, you know, you continue on your day and literally eight takeoffs, eight landings in a dash eight. Um, yeah, no, well, yeah, just- no. And just the maritime, just the maritime, the maritime. So I did get to spend a lot of time at the Albatross Motel, and I think that was in Gander. I don't even remember where, but it was the Albatross Motel. So no, it was a, it was a little bit of a disappointing um, career. You know, you know, you and I have talked about this at length, though. That one of the things I'm addicted to is what I call peeking into a portal, which is one yeah. of the things. Like you are an interviewer, and I'm an interviewer. I love interviewing people that give me a glimpse into a world I'm not currently um i don't currently have privy to on a on a you know day-to-day basis and i have to say flight attending for me it allowed me to peek into a portal that i was always really enamored with i thought Mm -hmm. flight attending was for sure the job for me i love talking to people i love traveling you know i i just thought for sure this was gonna be my thing i also knew i was a writer so i was like oh with that schedule you know i can be writing on the beach and why do i i keep wanting to say barcelona I don't know why. <laughs> I'm just going to keep bringing up Barcelona. I don't have this weird thing with Barcelona, but apparently today I do. But I always thought it would be a perfect match for my life. And I'm glad I tried it because at the end of my life celebration, a.k.a. my life award show, my funeral, I will know I tried it. Yeah. And I failed. And there you go. Mm-hmm. And so how does, uh, at which point do you get into advertising? Because that was sort mm-hmm. of, that's that's sort of branched off. Absolutely. Into that's sort of been the heart of who I've been for the last, say, 17 years. And had you ever planned on that or ju- you just fell into it sort of thing? No, I definitely didn't fall into it. It was definitely a strategic decision. Um, so in elementary school, my best friend, Hillary, her father was a creative director. And I remember being at um, his office in the 1980s and seeing um, the... Um, the oh my gosh like the proofs of a big Kodak ad that was going to be on Mm -hmm. the side of a bus and I remember seeing that it was like a jogger in lime green short shorts and I I remember seeing that it it left a very vivid impact on me because I was like oh there's there's a start to where an ad comes from Mm -hmm. and probably about a week or so later I was walking down the street in Winnipeg and the bus drove by and that ad was on the side of the bus and so I, I know that was pivotal for me to, to see the before and after and the process of it all. Where it became really relevant for me, though, was after my Bachelor of Education um, and knowing I wasn't going to ultimately pursue a career as a teacher, mm-hmm. um, I was sitting at my mom's kitchen table in Riverview, New Brunswick, and the J. Crew catalog had come. And I don't know if you've ever spent any time looking at a J. Crew catalog or back in the day a J. Peterman catalog they can be really beautifully written. Mm-hmm. And you really, even like an Ikea catalog is really fun. Poangs and tea lights aside, the copy and the concepts can be really fun. Right. They, they poke at that in, uh, poke at that at, uh, in Seinfeld. Yeah, Jay Peterman. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. Absolutely. Elaine's was a writer for Jay Peterman yeah. catalog. Bang on. Totally. So I was reading the J. Crew catalog and I remember opening this double page spread and going, I could write this like Mm -hmm. someone has to write this as as their career. I could do this. And so that would have been 1996. And I went on a vengeance at that point too. I've always been a writer. I've called myself a writer since I was five years old. And um, I just didn't know how to have a career as a writer that could be lucrative and creative and fun and meet neat people. 
And uh, and it was looking at that J. Crew catalog that I was like, that's it. I have to learn everything I can mm-hmm. about that advertising business. And I went on a rampage through like 96, 97, 98. I interviewed as many creative directors as I can. I interviewed as many copywriters as I could. Um, I got a job as an account coordinator, which is sort of the business side, the lowest level and the business side, the project management side of advertising. Got a job at an agency in New Brunswick. And from there, I made the decision to take the program at Humber College. It's a one-year ad copy program. And it's actually a really good program. To my, to the best of my knowledge, it still is. It certainly mm-hmm. helped a lot of people get jobs, um, you know, back when I was, you know, getting started. And what makes you go, why, and then you moved to Vancouver. That was your mm-hmm. first real big job in, in the industry, right? It sort of was. I actually transferred from the Toronto office-ish. I got hired by someone in Vancouver, but I had just won an award for a TV script that I had written. And so the for a 30-second TV ad. And the prize was I actually won. And this is fresh out of school. So it's like for the first time I'm actually going to have a job job. I won a month at three different ad agencies. Padulo, McLaren, McCann, and BBDO. So I was actually in the BBDO office in Toronto when um, I met up with a woman who is still today one of my very best friends, Sharon Shales, and she was in town from BBDO Vancouver, and it sort of worked that because I had won, she wanted to hire me for BBDO Vancouver, and it just made the sell to get me to Vancouver all the easier because I had just won my foot in the door at BBDO Toronto, so it just worked out that way. So I think I worked at BBDO Toronto for like literally maybe six weeks, Mm -hmm. and then Sharon uh, pulled me out this way. And you move out to Vancouver. This is what, 15 It years? is actually, I think, 17 years now. 17 years. I think so, 1998. So what's that arts major? I'm, oh yeah, 16 years. 16 so years. you were kind of right and I was kind of right. Yeah. <laughs> right in the middle. Yeah. All right. So you moved to Vancouver and yeah. you're copywriting. Yes. And you're, you're not freelance yet. No, I am not freelance. When do you make the decision to freelance? And talk about that a little bit because sure. it's sort of... Uh, you were you were sort of forewarned by a lot of people yes. to not do that, and this is yes. what I like about your personality. And right. you, you sort of you you write your own ticket, sky's the limit, and right. you don't you you don't bother yourself with you you couldn't waste a minute on what other people think right. or, or say. Right. So how do you make the leap from being employed by mm-hmm. a company to freelance? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing I want to say is that it's not that I don't care what other people say because I absolutely do. And anytime someone tells me what they think, there's a moment where I think, do they have a point, a valid point? Mm-hmm. Um, but if I think that they don't legitimately, I'm I'm a lot easier to walk away. A friend of mine once said, don't wait for an invitation to the banquet. And that to me has sort of been like a guiding principle of how I've shaped my career is if I want something, I'm not going to, I don't wait for the invitation to the banquet. I like to create it myself. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but predominantly making that leap from being um, an employee to a freelancer, that sort of came, I, I was really, really fortunate. I worked with great ad agencies with incredible people, like good creative directors and really amazing. The thing I've always said about working in ad agencies is it's sort of the next best thing to high school. Um, I enjoyed high school, so that's a happy analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, the people, it's dynamic and fun. And there's, you know, like just, you know, it's like the inside jokes and the, yeah. you know, the kookiness and all that sort of thing. I loved that about ad agency life. What I didn't like about ad agency life, or should I say really 
any kind of nine to five thing was that the expectation is there that you're going to be productive from Monday to Friday from, I, you know, we say the term nine to five, but it's not nine to five. It's usually, you know, eight to seven mm-hmm. or whatever. When I believe creative people have specific times of the day or nights or weekends when they're actually more productive. And I think people are productive in all kinds of different environments. And so for me, the, the, I've always been a bit of a commitment phobe when it comes to my career. And on the first day of any job I've ever had, um, I've picked the day I hope to be gone by mm-hmm. um, just because I get panicky and, you know, break out into a rash and all the rest of it. And so with ad agency life, I legitimately loved it in terms of the fact that I met the people who are still among my very best friends today. I think I probably have at least 100 people I could call at any time you know, who are still, you know, a very important part of my life because Mm -hmm. of the people that ad agencies seem to attract. Um, Incredible mentors. I could list a whole bunch of them. But for me, the format of working in an office Monday to Friday, sun up to sundown wasn't going to work for me. And plus, I've also always been someone with a whole lot of pots on a whole lot of burners. And I've always been someone who's got other ideas for other things I want to do and try and dabble in. And that wasn't, condu- an, an office environment wasn't conducive for me um, to achieve or try, maybe not achieve, but try all the things I wanted to try. So um, my so I worked at BBDO. From BBDO, I went to Ogilvy Mather. And this was all with uh, my long time art director partner who's now a creative director um, in Saskatoon actually Garnet McElroy he just left Vancouver he's like an incredible dude um, so Garnet and I went from BBDO which later became Lanyon Phillips we went to Ogilvy Mather together and from Ogilvy Mather we went to Cossette together so we worked at great agencies together um, but he, like G- Garnet and I could always be very honest with each other and I always sort of had this um, and and he's the same entrepreneurial t- sort mm-hmm. of spirit who wanted and I wanted to try other types of writing and all the rest of it so we eventually sort of parted ways um, in Cossette but I had a great um, but have remained lifelong friends and still do lots of creative projects together on the side Um, But I went to my creative director at the time and was just totally honest, which was a a really scary conversation with for me to have. Um, His name's Dick Haddon. And again, great guy, sort of a legend in the industry. And I said to him, you know, Dick, I have all these other things I want to try as a writer. I want to write a novel. I want to write comedy. I want to write children's books. I want to write a one woman show. You know, I want to do all of this stuff. I said, I think I can only work about three days a week. I said, it's either going to be at Starbucks or here. Um, you know, perhaps as a freelancer for you. And he basically said, well, um, good luck. Um, I'll take a double-double. No, I don't know. I couldn't think of a, I could not think of a Starbucks drink. I'll take a venti, no foam. No, he said, absolutely, three days here. So that, because he was so accepting of this proposition for me, it enabled me to sort of take a step towards the freelance life. And so that three days a week ultimately merged into me having the confidence to go, you know what, I think I could do this on my own. So after a year of working three days a week for Cossack, which I think is unheard of, if there's another copywriter out there listening who's had that kind of arrangement, please like email pod at jdcomedyhour.com because um, I, I've i not known that. And I think that's one of those examples of don't wait for an invitation to the banquet, you know, mm-hmm. create your own invitation. Right. Like I went to him with that. I didn't go to him with the problem. I went to him with the problem I was experiencing and the solution. Right. And he bought the solution. Most people would just assume that yeah. the answer is no. They Absolutely. wouldn't even ask. Totally. 
So when you do that for the first year, you're working three days a week mm-hmm. for Cosette. Are you seeking, are you, are you working for any other agencies no. or you're just doing that? At the time, I did it just for Cosette so that I could work my other two days a week on my other ideas and my mm-hmm. other creative projects. But then after that year, um, I realized, wow, a lot of people have been saying, are you taking other freelance work? And at the time, it didn't occur to me because I was like, no, I'm doing this thing three days a week for Cosette. And... Um, you know, I've, I want to have all my other time to do all these other projects. And then after the first year, I kind of realized, you know what, um, I could probably do a lot more with this. And that was sort of when I decided to start my company, which is called Inc. And Inc. Creative was born, I think, in the year 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of when I say I kind of opened the floodgates. And, uh, and then it all sort of started to really snowball from there. And did anyone ever express any sort of jealousy or anything because you were, you know, everyone's there, like you said, eight to seven, Monday Mm -hmm. to Friday, and Mm -hmm. you're just sort of three days a week doing your own thing? Yeah, you know, and I think it's a displaced, and I'm not saying, oh, they're so jealous. That's not it at all. But I know there was one copywriter in particular that my relationship with ad agencies for the last, well, it's 2014, so say 12 years, has been I'm an in and out resource. Mm -hmm. I come in as needed. I leave when I'm not needed. Um, I work a lot from the ink pad where we're sitting right now. But there was one copywriter in particular every time I would come into the agency that uh, he and I were both working at, but he was an employee. I was a freelancer. He would say, oh, my God, must be nice. Oh, you're leaving now? Must be nice. You know, oh, you came in at 10, eh? Must be nice. And I'd be like, yeah, but I'm I'm assuming all the risk that comes with this lifestyle. You know, I don't have anyone matching 4% of my RSPs Mm -hmm. or, you know, I don't have sick days. I don't have vacation pay. So, um like I don't know if the word's jealousy and if it was it's the wrong emotion but it was um you know it's it's the life I chose. I always say that creative people or people in general you can sort of value one of two things. You can either really value your security or you can really value your freedom. But I've yet to figure out a way you can value both on right, the spectrum. Right. And I've never been one to value security. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I value the security that comes from my health. And I value the security that comes from my relationships. I want to have healthy relationships. When, when it comes from my career and creative expression and trying new things and taking risks, I value freedom way more than I value for security. So when a guy like that would come up to me and say, oh, it must be nice. I'd be like, no, but you value security right. more. Whereas we have different value systems. I don't value what you value. Right. And so... <laughs> You you start Inc. your company mm-hmm. and then you, you is there a conversation with Cosette that now you're billing them differently or how does that work? Like um, the, yeah, there, there was a conversation back in the day um, when I first started the three days because um, they took my salary and prorated it down to three days a week and when you're living in Vancouver, let me tell you that year kind of hurt. Right. Um, but um, but again, it's that whole how do you define abundance? All of a sudden, as someone who values freedom, I had abundance because I owned my own time, so right. that was great. Then the conversation though, the year after that became okay, what's a fair hourly rate because Mm -hmm. in the land of freelance copywriter it's pretty much an hourly um you know again maybe there's copywriters who are listening to this who'll be no 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 i do it differently and that's fine my system's always been sort of like an hourly rate Mm -hmm. and then working with different agencies and asking around and all that sort of stuff you do have that conversation and every project you put together an estimate and you say this is my hourly rate and they say okay well would you do it for this instead or da 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 so you go back and forth so those conversations definitely happened and when you make the decision to go freelance do people in the industry tell you like give you their opinion like I asked because when I made the leap from right. financial planner to comedian mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. coming from the east coast yeah. or like Moncton area specifically it's not overly mm-hmm. artistically supportive sure. and people value like you say security way more than anything else right 
And so it's crazy what people would actually tell me to my face. Like, yeah. are yeah. you like, what's wrong with you? Are yeah. you crazy? And like you should have heard up? what we were saying behind your back. <laughs> wow. But did you experience that? Going oh, from yeah, of course. And you know, but the, the thing is with um, ad copy in particular is being a freelancer isn't entirely rare. Um, there's certainly a good number of freelancers out there. My um, situation might be a little bit different though, because when I decided to be freelance in 20, uh, 2002, I knew deep down I would never go back because mm-hmm. I knew deep down it, um, being an employee would never work for me. Whereas a lot of people freelance sort of at different um, phases in their life because of just a different chapter. Maybe they just got let go from a position and they have to to pay the bills or maybe they just want to try it for six months. Um, Whereas for me, it really works for me as a long-term model. But in terms of the things people said to me, the thing I remember the most was um, one particular um, associate creative director I was working with sort of said, yeah, go for it. Feast or famine. That was his words. Yep. Feast or famine. And maybe my definition of feast and my definition of famine are different, but I've only experienced feast. And I say that, um, I'm not saying my phone's always ringing, um, but I think because feast to me means different things. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden, if I'm not working on a project, and I typically love the people I work with, like there's nothing about me leaving ad agency structured life that was about the people. The people are incredible. The projects are incredible. The clients are incredible. You know, yeah, there's always politics and silliness and all the rest of it and crazy back and forth and client revisions that will make you scratch your head. Um, But um, for me, Feast was, I own my own life. Mm -hmm. I own every hour of my day. If I had a bad work day, it's entirely on me. You know, every single thing, it's that free, it's valuing freedom. So I only have experienced Feast and I've had so many creative opportunities and got to knock on so many different doors and had them open, some just a crack, some wide open, Um, but all because working in a building Monday to Friday, nine to five, I, I recognized early on it wasn't going to work for me. Mm-hmm. So when you, okay, so then you decide to launch Inc. <laughs> and how do you pursue other ad agencies? Is that through relationships you, you've bridged in the past or is it just yeah. cold calling? Like how does that work for any yeah, people listening sure. that might okay. be interested? In- My advice for anyone listening is be really nice to people mm-hmm. and don't miss deadlines and don't work work with an ego. And I don't say that just about ad copy. I mean, it's the same for you, Julian, in the mm-hmm. comedy business, right? If you have a, a spot open at the Julian DeYoung Comedy Hour on a Wednesday night, are you going to call like a jerk who shows up late, who's full of ego? Or are you going to show, you know, call that nice person who does good work? Of course, the the assumption always has to be the work is good. Right. But being easy to work with. And I've always prided myself on that. And as a creative person, I think there's this myth that we have to wear black turtlenecks and little black right, glasses. Right. No offense to what you have on right now. No, <laughs> no offense to your exact outfit right now. <laughs> um, but and that we have to be egoic and sensey and angsty and upset and and I've always prided myself on being very normal Mm -hmm. you know I'm like I'm a very level-headed person and I don't get so attached to things that I can't take revisions and the rounds of revisions and the craziness whereas I have seen incredible and, and again you and I talked about this before the show um the other day I think being a creative person it doesn't matter if you're writing comedy if you're writing advertising if you're writing a novel if you're a creative person there is a lot of likeness in the mm-hmm. people that you're affiliated with and Absolutely. all this and you'll see like 
you know, I dabbled very briefly in comedy, nothing compared to any remote success that you've had. But um, I've, I, you see the same personality types, right? And um, in ad agency land, there's a couple times I've seen big flare ups of creative ego that were unnecessary. Mm-hmm. That, that's not my style. And so I think for me, no, it was never about cold calling. It was always about the fact that it was like propagating seeds, you know, or um, is that the word propagating where seeds sort of like go out and like the wind kind of and the seeds land other places and then things grow. And so for me, like, let's say I had relationships at BBDO, Ogilvy Mather and Cossette, those people went to other agencies, landed, and then when they needed someone, they called me. So it was never about cold calls. It was always about, yeah, right, I'm a nice person. I won't miss a deadline, and I have no ego. Well, I have an ego, but I don't tend to work with it, you know, in ad agency land. And so it just sort of grew very much. I This is a very overused word today, but it very much grew organically. Mm-hmm. It's interesting you say missing deadlines because that in a creative field, it's very seldom that deadlines are like people always miss yeah. their deadlines. It's so overlooked. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wonder what yeah. that is about creative people. We just sort I don't of tend know. I to... think there's like a belief that, and you know, and when I look at like the creative directors, I really, really admire. Um, they understand that creative is a business at the same time, and mm-hmm. you know, and and again, it goes back to comedy too. And I remember um, seeing an interview with Jerry Seinfeld and him talking about how um, he never wanted to have a backup plan. You know, he looked out the window of his apartment and the guys who were out working on the street, like the tar guys or the guys, what are they called? Jackhammer. Those guys working on the street, you know, probably hating their job, but they show up from seven till three. And, you know, who is he to wake up at 11 and think that he can just dabble in what he's doing? You know, if you don't treat your creativity as a business, then it's a hobby. Yeah. You know, you can you can decide. And so um, the same thing. And again, my backgrounds in ad agency world but uh you know i that ended up going into magazine world and ultimately went back into performing with my one woman show and if i'm going to show up late to a one woman show if i'm going to miss deadlines for when my script needs to be reviewed by a tech person or mm-hmm. whatever it's like that that's not my then it's not a business anymore and i have no right to be there it's a hobby yeah people overlook that business side of it all the time all they, the time a lot of creative people feel that the business side of it takes away from the art side of it. Yeah. If they're too good at the business, mm-hmm. well, they cannot possibly mm-hmm. be a great artist. And, mm-hmm. and that's just... I completely disagree. I just had this conversation with one of my very, very best, dearest friends, uh, Danielle Krissa. And um, she's a very successful... Uh, she's just signed her third um, book deal. Um, and... Um, we were talking um, not about her situation in particular, but just about being a creative person um, in general and about the fact that so many times we let other people take care of our business for us when Mm -hmm. really as a creative person, why can't we be CEO of, you know, Mary Jo Dion, whatever, you know, Julian Dion, you know, we just, there's this, um, what's the word, misbelief, what's myth? A misbelief, I guess, is a myth that, yeah, creatives are flaky and all over the map. And really, the most successful entrepreneurs are creative people. Right. You know, Oprah Winfrey is a creative person. Ellen DeGeneres is a creative person. Mm -hmm. Martha Stewart's a creative person. And each of them recognize that they're not just, you know, Martha Stewart's not just making cupcakes she's running an empire but it started with cupcakes yeah but if she was just sort of la 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 oh, there's a f- you know i'll make right. a pie next saturday it's like no she's gonna make a pie and she's gonna write a book and she's gonna do a powerpoint presentation and a strategy right. and that pie could lead to you know a, whatever 
And I think that creative people have to remember that you have that choice. You can be creative and all over the mm-hmm. map and flaky. And then, yeah, absolutely call it a hobby. But if you want it to be your true your life I think it's about taking it seriously enough and and respecting the fact that deadlines and I think also deadlines uh, uh, one of the creative directors I worked with years ago said I, I, I was complaining about a short deadline and uh, he he said actually I'm so sorry it was a she she said you expand or shrink to the space available and I'll never forget that. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, you know, we got briefed on the Friday. It was due on the Monday. We worked all weekend and it was great work because we expanded or shrunk to the space available. If they'd given us a month, I don't know if the work would have been better, but I know I probably would have watched a lot of movies that weekend, right. chilled, slept in, whatever. But instead it's like, no, you expand or shrink to the space available. And I think of that all the time. Mm-hmm. That's a good, yeah, there's a lot of myths around creative people. One that drives me nuts yeah. is specifically for comedians that, that if you're a comedian in some way you're messed up like what's yeah, wrong yeah like right you've got some sort of like there's you know some yeah. childhood trauma or something and i can't stand that because yeah. it's it, it yeah. couldn't be far, mm-hmm. further from the truth because some of my favorite comedians mm-hmm. the com- comedians i look like are normal well-balanced mm-hmm. successful mm-hmm. and they're entrepreneurs at, yeah. at the end of the day you know yeah okay so let's go back to to the trajectory so you've got your own company uh, things are firing on all, all cylinders you're uh, freelancing. How do you get to that, to all your, the opportunities that you've you've seen, like all the success with magazines and uh, the Playboy Mansion? How does yeah. that all fit into yeah. to the picture? Um, so magazines, it was interesting. Um, I'd always, like I said, fancied myself a writer. And I always knew at Humber College, I had this professor who said, um, when you're building your hat rack, put a whole bunch of hooks on it. Don't Mm -hmm. build a hat rack with just one hook. And a lot of, and I'm going to use the example of ad copywriters because that's the background and that's what he was referring to. A lot of ad copywriters at the time were like, oh, well, I love doing radio. I'm just going to really work on radio. You know, whereas it's like, no, you have to be able to do radio and TV and billboards and direct marketing, which may not be as sexy and romantic and cool, but know how to do it. So you'll always have opportunity because opportunity is always going to lead to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So I always fancied myself someone who was going to have a hat rack with a whole bunch of hooks. So one of the things I always wanted to try was magazine editorial. And I was at Chapters on Robson Street, and this is 11 years ago, and a new magazine was launching called Modern Dog Magazine. And it was sort of like the Vogue for the dog, um, the dog guardian. But I saw this magazine, and at the time, I had recently converted to being a dog kookball. Like, I was obsessed with my little dog at the time. And I was like, you know what? This is, it was a local publication, just a small glossy here in Vancouver. I was like, I'd love to write for this magazine. So I pitched them. I said, I've never written magazine editorial before. But if you give me a chance, you know, I promise I'll sort of, like, rise to the occasion or whatever. Mm -hmm. They didn't bite at all. And it took about three years of me emailing them and begging them and all the rest. So finally they were desperate and they hired me for a particular um, article. This would not, this would actually have been about 12, 13 years ago. Yeah. Um, Because I've been writing them for, with them now for a full decade. It really was an introduction into a whole new world. There's certain people when I've met them, I know my career is about to take a whole new um, directional shift. Sharon Mm -hmm. Shales, of course, being the first who brought me to Vancouver. And then the publisher of Modern Dog is Connie Wilson. And I didn't have an editorial portfolio to speak of. I just was I would not stop knocking on her door. <clears throat> and I was so excited when they asked me to write this article for them. 
And that just led to like, you know, like I say, peeking into a portal because what that introduced me to was um, I ended up having to interview a woman by the name of Allie Baroni. And Allie was the host of the show called While You Were Out, I believe, a TLC show. And it was my first time officially interviewing someone. And I'd never done it before. I was just excited. I was writing a magazine article, but Mm -hmm. I'd never actually interviewed someone. And I loved it. I was like, oh my God, I really love this. This is a thing. Like this could be a thing, you know? So eventually what that led to was me getting to do the cover interviews for Modern Dog magazine, which has just been an incredible experience because the neat thing about celebrities is they're also looking to make themselves look good. They want an angle, you know, that paints themselves in like, you know, an authentic light of, you know, compassion and and animals is the way that they tend to do it, right? Or, Or they can do it. That's one of the ways. So I've met really interesting people who yeah the hook is about their love of animals but the start of every interview I've ever done over the last 10 years with Modern Dog we talk about you know their professional their hurdles and the hiccups and what they've learned along the way and getting to interview people like Ellen DeGeneres and Martha Stewart and people who you can actually sit and go okay what what would I dogs aside yeah we'll get to that and that's very important because you know a lot of these people are pro-rescue which I believe is a very important message But to have the opportunity to sit with these people and say, what have you learned about your career along Mm -hmm. the way? And what wisdom would you impart on someone if you could do this differently? And to have that opportunity, it's just been incredible. And so that sort of, that continually knocking on Connie Wilson's door for those three years ultimately led to me writing their cover stories for the last 10 years and meeting some incredible people. And you mentioned Cloris Leachman in your really eloquent intro of me. (laughs) And that was just one of those things. Like, I'm like, is this really happening? You know, I've admired Cloris Leachman. She's the most decorated um, actress in Hollywood. She's won Emmys, Oscars, People's Choice Award, Golden Globes Award, and um, awards plural. And when I showed up at her apartment, um, you know, it was just this like instant, like very cool octogenarian who was like all over the map crazy, but she was getting ready to go on a a cruise the next day. And she had to like do all this running around while she was packing. So by the time she got finished packing and, you know, I'd been at her apartment already at least an hour, um, she's like, listen, I'm exhausted. Can we just do this in bed? And so before I knew it, I'm in bed with Cloris Leachman and we laid there under her covers for like three and a half, four hours. It was no t- way. Oh yeah. It was still eight at night. Um, and the only time she got out of bed was one particular time because she wanted to show me something that she had learned firsthand from Charlie Chaplin. And that was like a moment to, to know that I was sort of like one degree from Charlie Chaplin in that moment. So she had taken, um, she actor studio back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, Charlie Chaplin, Chaplin had been at the actor studio and had taught her how to do his famous walk. And she got out of bed to show me how to do this famous walk. And I was like, I am sitting here in bed with Cloris Leach when she just jumped out of bed, show me something that Charlie Chaplin taught That's her. Crazy. Yeah, it was really crazy because all my life, I really thought Charlie Chaplin was like the neatest guy. Mm-hmm. Again, professionally, the risks he took, the things things that he experimented with in terms of creative expression and all that sort of thing. And so it was just one of those times I was like, oh my gosh, like it's that you don't, don't wait for an invitation to the banquet. Right. Let's talk a little bit about Ellen DeGeneres because yes. she comes into the picture here. She, you all, you've always been a huge fan yes. and that sort of uh, bled into my life where um, we saw her in 2001, 2001, I think 2002, sure. yeah. actually yeah. 2002. Yeah. Uh, at the Orpheum Theater here, mm-hmm. downtown Vancouver. It wasn't even sold out, no. which is crazy. Crazy. 
it was this was post sitcom yep. post coming out pre talk show yeah talk show had not come out yet no nope. and uh I remember sitting there and we actually moved down. We had seats on the balcony. We yeah. moved down a little bit. We got better seats because not sold out. Crazy. Yeah. And I remember watching and could not believe yeah. how amazingly funny yeah. she was. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And I already ha- always had the, um, I always aspired to be a comedian. Mm-hmm. And when I saw her that night, I'm like, this is how you do it. Yeah. This is how it's done. Yeah. And this is what I have to do. Yeah. And uh, so, so through you, I was sort of influenced by Ellen. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about your relationship with her and how you eventually became uh, got to meet her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, <clears throat> yes, you're right. I've loved her for a long time. And the thing I've loved about her for so many years, I watched her sitcom every Wednesday night all through the 90s. It was like, that's the time. Don't call me. I'm not answering the phone that half hour. Um I yeah she was always funny but what I've always loved about Ellen DeGeneres is that she's kind Mm -hmm. and comedy of course is subjective um I have never found comedy that's not kind funny I actually think it needs to have a different word because to me the very essence of laughing and joy is kindness and if you can be kind and funny and again this is just my opinion um and I know there's going to be people listening that are like she doesn't know what she's talking about I'm just an audience member so Mm -hmm. this audience member's opinion is that and that she could in the face of having so many rocks thrown at her in what was it I think 1997-ish when she wrapped up her show to have so many things thrown at her and to have that fact she always held her always held her chin up and kept the high walked the high road and you think in your own career of the mudslinging that you've heard and the name calling and the back and forth, that was never her style. When if anybody could have, mm-hmm. it, could, it could have been her. And so I've admired her, not just because she's funny, but because she really, truly is a class act. And that's not a term I think I've even ever said out loud before. Um, but um, really has always sort of been a woman of real dignity in my eyes. And what I loved, and you're talking about the show we went to see of hers, um, she connects with people. And whether you're a comic or an ad copywriter or a novelist, any creative person who truly connects with people, I just think that's like the ultimate. Mm -hmm. So my experience with her... um, I got to interview her for Modern Dog Magazine, and it was just one more of those um, interviews that I was like, is this really happening? The thing with interviews is, of course, you know, you can do them over the phone, Mm -hmm. but when it came to someone like Ellen DeGeneres, I was like, no, 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 tell them that your writer's going to be in LA, and, you know, she would love to swing by the studio, and, like, it just doesn't make sense to do it over the phone because I'm going to be right there, and I'm going to be staying really close to Burbank, you know, lie, lie, lie. Um, And so Modern Dog's like, okay, well, we'll see what we can do. And so, yeah, they fo- they called me back and they said, well, there's good news and there's bad news. They said, the good news is she'll do a face-to-face. The bad news is you have 15 minutes. And I was like, doesn't matter. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll absolutely take it. So flew down to Los Angeles. And you know what? Just as a little added, because it's my favorite thing, part, well, not my favorite part of the story, but one of the parts of the story I love, for a treat, if you've been to Los Angeles, there's a wonderful hotel called Chateau Marmont on the Sunset Strip that I was like, you know what? If we're having a completely Hollywood experience, we have to stay at the Chateau Marmont. So it was just this like extra like cherry on top sort of thing, like because I love old hotels and the Chateau Marmont is like full of incredible old Hollywood folklore. So it was just like this amazing experience. That's where uh, Jim Belushi died, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah, you got it. 
Um, so anyway, went to do the interview and um, it actually coincided. It was in the early days of the writer's strike. Right, right, yes. right. Yes. So her office was, you know, noticeably quite empty and we had to drive through the pickets to get onto the set. Um, and so right from the get-go, though, meeting her, it was just... Um, it wasn't the feeling at all of meeting a really funny comedian. It was the feeling of meeting a really smart CEO. Mm-hmm. And that, it didn't surprise me because, of course, she is, like, you know, the head of her own brand. But it was... Um, just this really almost like a nice reassurance that right like it's it's exactly what you and I were just talking about a couple minutes ago it's that yeah she's a creative person who's absolutely nailed the business side like right you get the sense like you you respect this woman like she's a smart woman and so we started the interview and um of course Ellen DeGeneres is famous in the comedy world for being the first woman that Johnny Carson ever called over to the couch for a chat after the set right that had never happened before in his show and so I let her know first thing out of my mouth was you know that was your big moment in your life I said sitting down here with you today is the big moment in my life Mm. and I think just saying that to her she's like well in that case let's you know let her go let's go and I was there a long time it it you know what if I was there an hour and a half two hours I wouldn't be surprised like the 15 minutes quickly went out out wow. the window yeah. and um her assistant knocked on the door a number of times and it was really funny because he'd knock on the door and kind of point at her, his watch and knock at the door and point at his watch and I said to her at one stage I said am I gonna get you in trouble she's like no you know did you see the name on the door like yeah. it's good I, I've got this you know right. but she was just incredibly gracious and funny and kind and all those things that I really had hoped that she would be and of course it was during the writer's strike um, and so her monologue, um, you know, hadn't, had yet to be written. And so to have her kind of bounce around those ideas of what she was going to talk about that day and me kind of get to like throw out my ideas and then later on to be in the audience a couple hours later and hear the monologue. Oh my God. Ah! Yeah, she used a couple of your ideas, right? Well, there was, um, one line that I had said and like we talked about, it, it was like, yeah, absolutely. Oh. Um, she had talked about, um, 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 earlier that morning in the shower, she had couldn't see what she was doing and she had accidentally washed her face with conditioner. And then I quickly said, well, at least you could comb through your beard that way. Mm-hmm. And that was a line that she used in her monologue. So for <laughs> me, that was a life Huge, highlight. Of course. Yeah, yeah, it was a great moment. That would never have happened, I think, had it not been for the writer's strike. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Okay, that's a great story. Now let's go to... <laughs> so. Yeah, actually, that was a smooth segue. <laughs> You're like, because yeah. what can you say after that? You're like, speaking of combing through my beard. Right. Um, Let's talk about the Playboy Mansion. Yeah, the PB match. So you you went down to the Playboy Mansion as part of uh, one of your ventures, uh, Puppy Mills Bite, which yeah. I sport the t-shirt all the time yeah, on yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, get into that a little bit. How does that, how did that come about? So actually, that was the pre-Puppy Mills Bite era. That was when my brand, so I I, I decided I wanted to launch a brand um, of t-shirts <clears throat> that benefited um, animals in need. So the line was called the Fleas Knees. And um, the t-shirts at the time, I think we had Fairy Dog Mother. Oh, right, Yeah, right. Dog Mom, the new MILF, and we had Mom of a Bitch. Um, and I had interviewed Tori Spelling for Modern Dog Magazine, and I ended up on her agent's um, mailing list. And I ended up getting this invitation to a party at the Playboy Mansion. And I quickly called my friends and I said, I think I just accidentally got invited to a party at the Playboy Mansion. And everybody's response, like across the board, everybody, I didn't call, I emailed. Everybody was like, then we have to accidentally go. Hmm. Like, are you kidding? So 
figured out what it would cost to get a table together for 10. But explain a little yeah. bit how you accidentally got invited. You were on a media list? Yeah. So Tori Spelling's agent, mm-hmm. who I'd been emailing back and forth with, um, teeing up the details of our Modern Dog interview, I ended up on her email list. So I think maybe she thought I was someone who should be at the Playboy Mansion. But really, I was getting the email in my old Navy pajamas in my house in the suburbs of Vancouver. Um, So yeah, so as soon as I accidentally got that, I said, well, we have to accidentally go. Well, I didn't. My friends were like, we have to accidentally go. And what was the email? What did it say? Like you are invited to? Yeah, exactly. You know, for tickets, da, 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 da. And you know what? Really, I don't believe it was an exclusive party in hindsight. Right. But I think the fact I got on that list Mm -hmm. was like, I mean, you know, like, yeah, tickets were going to sell out in like two Mississippis and I ended up on the list. Um, But um, so I I had had this idea for launching this line of T-shirts and they were in production. The designer, my designer, Sue Lee, was working on them and we were going back and forth. And then I was like, oh, my God, you know, they need sponsors at this event maybe I could use this as the launch of the t-shirts. And so that's what we did. I think we had 10 of us that we all showed up in these t-shirts, um, super fun t-shirts and, um, sort of used that as the debut, the launch of the fleas knees. And it was like amazing. And we were called the flea girls. And I said, if anyone had ever told me that more people wanted their pictures taken with the flea girls than the playboy bunnies, I'd be like, what? Like what's happening? It was just one of those like crazy perfect nights where we met like crazy incredible people that I was like is this actually a night in my life and it happened to be my birthday and so it was just one of those like every once in a while you have a perfect night and Mm -hmm. I was like we are partying at the Playboy Mansion launching my line of t-shirts with my dearest girlfriends meeting incredible people and you know I called you that's right you called me with uh, George Shapiro yes Seinfeld's longtime manager Seinfeld's George Shapiro and that was a great uh, story too because um, I'd been um Sit, sitting with the Modern Dog Crew, because the Modern Dog Crew also came. They're mm-hmm. a, like amazing people, um, Connie, Jen, and Jessica. And a woman came up to me and said, is that Connie Wilson? I said, yeah. She goes, oh, I'm a longtime fan of the magazine. She goes, do you think she'd mind if I met her? I was like, oh, God, no, absolutely. And she's like, oh, awesome. I'd love to, I would love to be introduced to her. And she goes, I'm just sitting over there with my business um, associate, George Shapiro. And I was like, Okay, wait a second. You want to meet Connie Wilson, but you're sitting with George Shapiro. She's like, oh, yeah, George, like, long time. This is whatever. I'm like, okay, I'll trade you. I'll trade you introductions. I was like, I will introduce you to Connie Wilson, but you have to introduce me to George Shapiro. And her name was Amy. And Amy and I have stayed in touch all these years. And she's a fantastic person. Like, just like, you know, you just meet people who are just like, energetic and positive and amazing and that's Amy like she's outstanding she still works with George Shapiro and so I got to pounce on George Shapiro and I remember he was eating a chocolate chip cookie and I'm pretty sure it flew across the room because I like grabbed him and I was like you're amazing (laughs) like he was responsible I believe for getting Elvis on the Ed Sullivan show I think back in the day like he's been a manager for for Mm -hmm. that long and that much of an iconic manager right you know so again I always call it peeking in a portal the Playboy Mansion to talk to the people I got to talk to and meet the people I got to meet it was just an evening of portal peeking Mm -hmm. yeah it was amazing because I was at a a camp we were camping right with a bunch of uh, friends on the east coast it it was after 1 a.m. and probably yeah because we were in Los Angeles, three yeah, hours, four, three hours, four hours difference. Four, four from yeah. from New Brunswick, and uh, you know we're we're drinking around a fire, and I my phone's ringing, and I don't recognize the number because right. you didn't call me from your cell phone. No, uh, and it was really loud, and I could just hear it was you, and you're like, Julian, hold on, someone wants to talk to you, right. and I'm trying to process 
what's happening, right? I'm right. Like, it's all happening so fast, and it's George Shapiro giving me advice. Yes. It, it was something like, hey, kid, uh, George Shapiro here. Just listen. Uh, just keep your head up high. You're doing a great job and never quit. And yeah. um, he said something like, uh, years ago, Jerry Seinfeld yep. told me he wanted to quit. And I think he told you the story. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he told you the story about going to Vegas with Seinfeld That's in his right. early days. And, and he and bombed. He, repetitively. He had like eight week. shows yeah. and, had bom- and bombed eight times. He's like, never give up, kid. Something like That's, that. That's what he said. He goes, I, I was, uh, yeah, he said that story. Exactly yeah. what you said. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. Describe a little bit the Playboy Mansion for people that have, no, like, I have no clue what, what yeah. that involves. What is that like? How many people are at this party? Um, You know, that's a good question. I would say there had to have been a thousand, maybe, I guess. That's crazy. Maybe. Yeah. 500 to a thousand i don't even know Mm -hmm. you know what it's just a beautiful ridiculously over the top home in the holmby hills which i I think is technically part of bel-air i'm not entirely sure about and you're outside yes we were outside i think they were having like groups inside but the whole night was such a like i feel like we got there at seven and blinked and it was two in the morning Mm -hmm. like it was one of those nights so we were outside the whole time and he has this like crazy petting zoo um he being Hugh Hefner um you know where there's like all these animals where they shouldn't be you know (laughs) like it's like okay I don't think there should be a monkey here right now um and so it's like just very surreal and of course there's the grotto the famous grotto Mm -hmm, um yeah and (laughs) I can tell this story because it's hilarious but I won't name names but it was just one of those like moments in my life when I'm like when will we ever have this when will we ever be able to ask the question we're asking? But one of my friends, um, it was we were getting ready to leave. The party was over, wrapping up, and we couldn't find one of my friends. And someone in the group said, have you checked the grotto? And all of us at that moment were like, when will we ever be able to ask, have you checked the grotto again? And sure enough, we found her in the grotto. Um, so a- about six months ago, I had a fundraiser party here in Deep Cove, and all of those girls were coming to that fundraiser and they were all emailing me money for their um, tickets to buy their tickets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to ask a, s- a security question. And every one of them was like, where did we have to check? You know, what was the one place we had to check? You know, where was place name here? You know, I won't say her name, but it's it was just sort of like it's like the line from summer 2007. Have you checked the grotto? <laughs> uh, that's funny and there are some details that you're omitting which yeah. is fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> um okay i wanted to touch a little bit on uh okay so we're getting a pretty good picture of your career and um and we'll get back to that in a second we'll get to to glowing but you're you described your friend uh or or uh george shapiro's business partner as yeah. super positive and sort of like a light and yeah. and bubbly that's how i see you oh literally and I feel like that's one of the one of the human slights is that we can never see ourselves the way right. other people can right. see us. Truly. Right now, uh, I'm convinced you just see me as bloated. <laughs> a little bit of that. Yeah. But I'm main- retaining water right now. <laughs> She's pregnant. Yeah. You're pregnant. Uh, <laughs> you just yeah okay not I was gonna say something funny that wasn't gonna be funny. To you. Uh, but you're a huge inspiration in my life uh, all the time. And you're just one of these people that I see, you just achieve whatever you put your mind to, and there are no limits to anything. And I wanted to touch on that because you're someone that's seen a lot of adversity. Through your life, you have lost a lot of people, like a lot of friends, Mm. 
uh, your age more than anybody that that I know. Right. And it's you, you've always sort of bounced back and, and learned right. from those those experiences where other people would maybe turn to drugs and alcohol sure. or use as a use that as an excuse to or justify failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you just always uh, persevere through that, like. Mm-hmm. Like I said, you've lost a lot of people at right. young age, right. you like close friends yeah. and roommates, yeah. and you've you've uh, overcome cancer three times, right. and you've had, uh, you know, a difficult understatement pregnancy, right. um, and which has brought us uh, my niece, your daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about that. How do you how do you process and move through those right. those life altering, possibly life altering events, right. and how do you keep your head up high, and how do you just sort of maintain balance and keep pushing through and keep kicking life's ass because you right. are you're, you're really one of those you're a rock star basically Aww. and so how do you is there is it a personal philosophy or you're just sort of wired that way to to just always well, swim instead of sink you know um thank you for that by the way um wish i could say the same in return uh, <laughs> could you imagine um but you know it's funny i was at the gym in london ontario about 10 years ago where my grandmother um, lives. And, um, I was on the treadmill beside this older man. He was a really nice guy. We chatted through it the whole time. Um, and then when he finished up on the treadmill, he's like, okay, have a good one. Kick the shit out of the day. And that really left an impact on me. I was like, right, you got to kick the shit out of the day. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I know every morning, even when I write in my journal, that's how I end my, you know, my writing for the day. It's like, okay, let's go kick the shit out of the day. And I love that. Um, But you're right. I did lose in one, uh, in a, in a one year span, I lost three people who'd um, all the exact same age as me. And one was a very, very close friend of mine who was my roommate at Mount Allison University. <laughs> and he had had, um, an, I, I suppose, an undetected condition that they didn't realize was as serious as it was. And he had a seizure while he was in London, England. And you had had an email from him. And yes. Got, that's why it made it so shocking, <clears throat> yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So I'd gotten up in the morning. I was supposed to be, I was in Vancouver. He lives in Halifax. He was in London for this wedding. He was coordinating with me via email on ways I could pick up the keys to his apartment in Halifax. So when I woke up, you know, eight, nine hours difference between London and Vancouver, I had an email from him and um, just sort of explaining about the the keys and all the rest of it. But no sooner had I read that email than I had a uh, phone call from a mutual friend of ours and she was bawling hysterically but I thought she was laughing her head off because I couldn't figure out why she'd be bawling so I just assumed she was laughing her head off I couldn't understand anything she was saying and she said Will died and I could not believe it and I was like well no I said Dale he didn't because I just had an email from him like it's okay Mm. it's a misunderstanding I'm reading his email right now you know not thinking well email's not necessarily in real time and, uh, and he had had a seizure in his hotel in London and this would have been um, he, we had just turned 30 so 12 years ago Actually, I just was in London in April running the London Marathon and I went to the hotel that he had um, stayed at and died at and went to the bar there and Chad and I had a drink and a toast for him. Um, And that same, um, within that same time period, lost um, another friend to uh, cancer that she didn't know she had. She went in for um, a particular um, appendix surgery and they realized she was full of cancer and she passed away relatively quite quickly. And then another friend who had melanoma same year I had my first melanoma. She had her first melanoma and her second melanoma. She and I had second melanoma at the same time, but she ultimately died from hers, whereas I didn't. Um, and I think for me, it's always been, I'll tell you one thing that drives me crazy. Okay. 
plastic surgery that makes you look younger Mm -hmm. drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. It drives me crazy. The name of the game is to get older. Right. You're winning if you're older. If if you're if you're not here when you're older, it's because you lost. You Mm -hmm. died. You're Mm -hmm. out. Like never. If I ever say to you, Julian, you know what? I'm thinking. I'm looking a little old. I might get this done and this done. Go. No. 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 Replay this because it literally. If you want to get plastic surgery for any reason that makes you feel better, that's fine. But not because you want to look younger. Right. Like if you have an issue and you want to fix it, whatever. I'm not judging, but don't want to look younger. Mm -hmm. And I really have an issue with people who don't tell their age Mm -hmm. because it's like again, it's the name of the game. The older you are, you're winning. Yeah, you're here. You did it. You think Will wouldn't want to love to have been 31 or 42 or 96? Right, drives me crazy. People who bemoan their birthdays drive me Mm -hmm. crazy. I'm like, no, you're winning. Mm -hmm. It's the name. It's everything. And, you know, I don't know what I'll be like when I'm 96. And you and I were blessed to have a grandmother who stayed so young at heart until she was 96. And I remember Mamere would always say, you know, she's paid off all her bills. She's got no debt. Now all the money that she has in the world, she's already prepaid her funeral. She would talk about that. All the money she has in the world now is just a party. Remember, she's just going to make a party. And it's like, that's the whole thing. It's not like, oh, I'm 96 and everyone then. And, you know, now granted, I could be cantankerous and bitter when I'm 96. I don't know. But Mm -hmm. right now in my 40s, oh, it drives me insane. Didn't you one time you had a a friend visiting, she was turning 60 or something and she did not want... Uh, to acknowledge her birthday and you brought out a cake and she started crying or s- no i don't think that was me oh someone I, someone yeah I know. if it was me i lied to you <laughs> i told you a story that was a complete lie you know when you can't remember things it's because yeah. you lied at one point <laughs> you're busted <laughs> right. in a lie right. you don't remember the details when you, right. i don't know if that was me i don't think it was i me. felt like it was like it w- okay i'll, I'll yeah. continue just to maybe ring a bell she, someone was either staying with you or visiting you and they were turning i think 60 and yeah, well, but, I'd cry if I was turning 62. <laughs> Old. Can you imagine after everything I just said? But, uh, and they didn't want to celebrate their birthday, and you or the person that told me the story brought a cake out, and the, this woman just started crying. I don't remember that. I'm so sorry. No. But I'm a lot older than you are. Baby brain. No. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Again, something else I hate. But I've done it a lot in the last 48 hours. Sorry, baby brain. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's get back to that. So how do you get get to a place where you just push through all that and 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 kick yeah. the day in the ass yeah kick the shit out of the day um yeah you know what i just think i don't think i have any deep secret for that i just right. literally know it's a choice every day yeah. and it's like i i don't even understand people who don't get that we're so lucky to be here right i don't get that i do not get that at all people who like, oh you know what i can't deal with people on facebook i'm so bored i'm like are yeah. we living the same like on the same planet right. like there is so much to do yeah all like, the time all the time and yeah. not just stuff that you have to do but stuff that you might want to do and get to do and projects you might want to try and embark on and all that kind of stuff i don't get that at all but i don't think it's any big secret i literally just think it's that decision mm-hmm. you know it's like we're here like that is a miracle mm-hmm. we're even even being here is a miracle and you know i did my one woman show glowing a reproduction production and it was such an arduous journey to become the carrier of a human alien that even the fact that a human is born is a miracle right. like after what we went through and the journey we took to get our monkey is like God, if you don't love every minute of your life, and I'm not saying because, I mean, a lot of people have a lot of trauma in their life. I'm not undermining that. But I mean, the general everyday person. Yeah. I don't get it. Let's talk a little bit about glowing. Uh, We'll go for the close here soon. But 
let's touch on that. Um, you always, for the longest time, wanted to adopt. Yeah. And crazy how yeah. difficult that process can, can yeah. be. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that and then how, and then eventually your pregnancy. Yeah. So very early on, I thought I was going to adopt. And so I would see, you know, these like Pampers ads with the little babies of different ethnicities. And I always felt this incredible connection to them because I was like, oh my God, I know I'm going to travel the world and adopt babies. And maybe it was a romanticized vision. But I also know that there are millions of orphans around the world. And yes, in Canada as well, of course. So that was my vision for how I was going to create my family. I always felt like that's how it would Mm -hmm. come together. Well, when the time came for us to sort of start creating our family, Chad and I had been together at that stage for 11 years, but we'd only been married one. We lived together for 10 years. And I didn't realize that so many of these adoption agencies um, are run by Christian organizations. And I have absolutely no issue whatsoever with that, with Christianity, of course. Like, I mean, I'm completely open-minded to all, you know, um, all sorts of beliefs. But the issue was, was that living together for those 10 years Mm-hmm. Um, made it so that um, we were seen as newlyweds. And so we weren't eligible to adopt from every single country we applied to. Um, Kenya, Haiti, Ethiopia, China, you name it, we were I- ineligible. And so that was where I ran into a lot of sort of soul searching on who I was and constantly being judged that all of the life choices I'd made up to this point were deeming me unfit for parenthood. It was a really, really hard time. And so um, basically, after many years of trying to apply, our paperwork had expired from one particular agency where we had been accepted. We'd been accepted to adopt from the um, Uh, an an American program in the South in Florida and our paperwork eventually expired and before we sort of decided do we want to re-put our name back in the hat after finding we hadn't been shown to a single birth mom in all of this time um, we decided well maybe we should go old school and hump and like make a baby but I was more Chad you know what it's not going to work because I was born without hips so anyway sure enough go to the fertility clinic because it's not working and all the rest of it conversation conversation no you two can never have children and I was like "Ah, I told you um so we started down the long crazy hallways of the fertility um world which in is in and of itself like a maze Mm -hmm. of complexity and insanity and craziness and credit cards and um and that was um, a really tough couple. Well, I don't know if it was a couple of years. No, you know what? It was a, it was one solid year. Actually, I found my paperwork the other day. It was one solid year from our first meeting, November 29th, 2011. We did a couple tries cause it didn't work the first time. Um, and Juju was born November 29th, 2012. So it was exactly one year, which mm-hmm. is really weird. Um, but yeah, in that, um, journey, um, when I eventually did become impregnated with an alien, Um, I was very, very ill, very ill, like sick, sick, sick every day and throwing up in the bushes. And, you know, I talk about the fact that like I would throw up in my sleep and like sit up very quickly in bed and like the barf would ricochet off my stomach and fly back into my face. Um, It was not an attractive time. It was not a good time. And again, I've also, you know, this story, but like the low point being that I threw up in the bushes at a friend's house and was simultaneously sprayed by a skunk. (laughs) Like that was my pregnancy in a nutshell. 
And then throughout, um, sort of at the low point when skunk, I could still smell skunk on my skin, um, I had had like a a small red dot on the bottom of my foot. And I talked uh, earlier in this chat about the fact that I had a friend who'd had her second melanoma and I had had my second melanoma. Both of my earlier melanomas had been caught on time. This turned out to be another melanoma, but it was starting to spread and it was on my foot. And um, foot melanoma spreads really quickly because there's not so much fascia. And... um, um, we were given 24 hours to decide if we were going to, um, amputate or rebuild the base of my foot using skin from my thigh. And I, um, we ultimately opted for the rebuild. So I had to go through that surgery very, very quickly. And when you're, you've got a human alien gestating in your innards, you can't have, um, general anesthetic. You can only have local anesthetic. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a good surgery to be awake for. Oh my god. It wasn't at all. And I remember one time you called me and you <laughs> the moment that you said I think there's a one woman show in yes. here cuz I was laughing right. my head right. off. We were I on the phone. That. And I was like tears I couldn't breathe. I was laughing right. so hard cuz you were describing how you cuz so you couldn't you have to keep your foot elevated yeah. at all times. Yeah. You couldn't sleep on your back, on your side, on no. either side like No. And um I think you were describing you had just peed your pants. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you're sitting on the toilet with your foot elevated and you're throwing up in the tub. Yes. Yes. Because I was peeing my pants because the force of the gagging would make me pee my pants. Right. Then I had to grab my crutches, hobble to the bathroom and I would sit on the toilet. My jeans would be soaked and I had to keep my left foot elevated above my head. So I had to barf in the bathtub to my right. (laughs) And there's like literally a puddle of pee on the floor that like my foot is like tapping in i'm like is this actually yep that's real that's there and in that moment i had a flashback because i dated a guy in high school and he used to say well one particular time you know he said it more than once but this one particular i'm very vivid a pregnant woman walked by us and he said there's nothing more beautiful than a pregnant woman they just glow and i had had here i am you know 22 years later with my foot above my head, my wet jeans around my ankle, my a bathtub <laughs> full of my own barf and, you know, my soaking wet jeans sitting on the toilet. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a one woman show that will write itself. Mm-hmm. And so that was very, you know, I talked about this. You were at a talk that we did um, a couple nights ago called Lemonade with your girlfriend, Jen Grant, all about turning life's lemons into lemonade. And that was a moment for me that was a perspective shift um, when I walked into that bathroom, sort of like bemoaning my situation situation and hating oh my god like you know I always would say you know at the end of this what am I going to get not a pony not a kitten you know a baby right Mm -hmm. it was like is is this even going to be worth it in the end and um that moment I was like no you know what I'm going to do something fun and creative with this Mm -hmm. in the meantime and so I applied to get into the Vancouver Fringe Festival and it's a lottery and I was really lucky to get a spot and so as soon as I got a spot the lottery was done when uh, Juju was six days old and I was actually on the Twitter feed of the Vancouver Fringe with this little newborn six day old in my arms and it said you know congratulations Inc. Productions glowing a reproduction production is part of the 2013 Vancouver Fringe lineup and I looked at this little monkey and I was like oh my god we have a one woman show to write mm-hmm. but um I did, and it was amazing. It was a great show. How many shows did you do in Vancouver? I came out for that. Yeah, you were my stage manager. And how many was it? We did six shows in Vancouver, Mm -hmm. and then that was last September. And then um, 10 months later, we did seven shows in Winnipeg. How did you find... Compare both experiences. Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, Vancouver... uh, 
Because hmm, your whole life is in Vancouver, so you had yeah, a lot of friends and yeah, family come out to yeah, the shows. Yeah, you know what's really interesting? Vancouver was super, super, super positive experience. Mm-hmm. Vancouver's a relatively big city, um, and so there's a lot of things going on. So Fringe Festival, for as an incredible of an event it is, there's other things going on that it will compete with. Right. Winnipeg is a smaller big city, mm-hmm. and it, Fringe Festival isn't competing with anything else. Right. So the Fringe vibe in Winnipeg was unbelievable. Again, it was really good, really, really amazing i would never say a bad word about my vancouver experience but it was a different feeling in winnipeg like you felt like the whole city was fringing right right right. yeah and that was really cool i actually felt like winnipeg was almost like a mini manhattan yeah like it really felt there was a palpable buzz in winnipeg oh cool yeah and you have connections in winnipeg yeah obviously so you had a lot of of great friends and family there but did you have um more how do i they have more strangers come out in Winnipeg sort I of think thing? so and you find a difference performing for pe- strangers or people that you know yeah no that's really interesting um, I think there were probably more strangers in Winnipeg mm-hmm. for sure because I don't know as many people there the thing that was neat about Winnipeg was watching the show gain momentum on its own again I'm going to use the overused word organically like right. it really did seem to get its own buzz and by the end of it it was like a more full house mm-hmm. no, not ex- 100% full house as fringe festival shows can kind of sometimes be Mm -hmm. but it was a really packed house which was a really great feeling to watch that grow itself whereas vancouver every time we had really good turnouts i'd be like oh it's just because they're my friends right right you know but yeah no i think you're probably right that i do maybe like performing for strangers maybe a bit better Mm -hmm. um because there is always a feeling you probably experience this whenever you go to new brunswick right it's like are these people here because they're my friends right or you know it's that feeling yeah. yeah Yeah, so I think probably I experienced that, but I've never vocalized it before because I've never really thought about that before. But I think there is that there you feeling. Go. You're welcome. No, yeah. I think I, I know you should say you're welcome. You're to welcome. Me. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and what's next in Mary Jo Dion's world? Are you working on any big projects or? You know what, Julian? I am just dating another human alien. That's right. Yeah, hence my bloatedness. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually in the process of selling my one company, The Flea's Knees. Mm hmm. So if there's any dog lovers out of there, I've had uh, a little bit of a shift in where I'm going to put my extracurricular passions. And so that is sort of on the market right now. Um, as you know, I just did the show with uh, your talented gal, Jen Grant and mm-hmm. Erica Sigurdsson and my friend Danielle Krissa last week, Lemonade, turning life's lemons into lemonade. So I would like to do a lot more of that kind of thing. Um, you know, the first time you and I saw Ellen DeGeneres together, I think I'd seen her once before. So I always have to one-up you. Um, But I remember leaving the venue feeling, you know, a full foot off the ground, like floating, levitating off the ground. There's that feeling. And again, that's just what I get if I see someone who's managed to be funny, managed to connect with people, and managed to do it without one low blow. I think that's such a gift. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know what my articulation of that will be, but that is ultimately, as a creative person, that's sort of... I don't know the answer to your question, what's the next big big thing, Mm -hmm. but I know if I can achieve that kind of thing to create, to connect with people, to be kind in some way, that's sort of what continues to guide me. But I don't know what format that will be just yet. My husband and I were talking, Chad, um, not so long ago, and I said, I think the thing I love most about my career is that I never know what's around the corner. I never know what phone call I'm going to get for a really cool opportunity. I never know what email is going to be in my inbox the next day for something neat that I want to try. And I love that. And so I'm kind of open. Right now, I'm sort of cleaning up admin in my life, in professional life, in terms of, okay, what's no longer working, what Mm -hmm. continues to work. 
work and sort of just getting ready to have a blank slate. And, you know, I, you're sitting in the ink pad right now. I took down two big ads that have been on that wall forever because I realized I've got no more wall space. So I can't psychologically or psychically or emotionally evolve anymore or, you know, I need to create space. What's the next thing that's going to go on the wall? So I actually physically made space on the wall because I don't know what that next thing is. Groove. Well, there you go, guys. If you're looking for an opportunity, the Flea's Knees yeah. is up for sale. <laughs> and look for Mary Jo's new company, The Baby's Knees. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Baby's Chubby Knees. <laughs> um, anything you want to plug? What's your Twitter? Uh, at Mary Jo Dion. At Mary Jo Dion. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else would I want to plug? The thisisinc.com, I suppose, mm-hmm. This is which is a URL. <laughs> what do you say now if not url what do you say site website oh god you people <laughs> with your sick flow <laughs> uh anything else you want to add you feel good about it do you, um, are you good you know what i'd just like to redo the beginning the middle and the end perfect we otherwise we're good all right thanks for doing it thanks you're a huge inspiration me. in my life i right love you back very at much yeah ditto right. Oh, there she is, folks. Episode 15 in the books. Our longest episode yet. And that concludes the West Coast Tapes. That was the fifth and final installment. Thanks to all my guests on the West Coast. Thanks to episode 15 guest, my sister, Mary Jo Dion. And thanks to you always, you. I appreciate it more than you know. Email the show, pod, P-O-D, at jdcomedyhour.com. Follow on Instagram and Twitter, at jdcomedyhour. What else? Thanks to my producer, Adam Fox, and my sound engineer, Miles Lacroix, always. And uh, that's that's that. I don't think there's anything else. Enjoy your weekend. I think that's it. I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. Mom, I love you. And that is all, folks. As always, watch your head.
you do it voluntary. Right. Voluntarily? Yeah. You can put that on your resume under volunteer work. (laughs) (laughs) Disgusting. Okay. Let's. No, there it is. Alrighty then. One one for good measure. Let's test our. um, Ostrone? Get it? Test Ostrone? Save it for the pod. Okay, so say something, get comfortable and say something the way you would uh, talk. Julian, um, it's a real honor for me to be here this afternoon um, live at the Inkpad here in Deep Cove, beautiful British Columbia, supernatural British Columbia. So nice. It's like, uh, it's, it's so hard to even process <laughs> how serene it is. It's, it's super, really. It's relaxed. It's relaxed. <laughs> You know what I'm craving right now? Some soup. Some, uh, specifically, what kind of soup? soup? Um, maybe not soup. Maybe more of an ice cream sundae. Well, mm. Ice cream sundae. Oh, with sardines. What's, how, what's the word for cold soup? Um, um, spumante. Spumante? Oh, no, that would be ice cream. Um, gazpacho. Gazpacho, that's what I was thinking of. Spum- <laughs> spumante. Nice. Gazpacho. Nice gazpacho. Mm-mm. Mm. Nice, nice pool of gazpacho. <laughs> Who's ever had a craving for gazpacho? <laughs> oh, just curl up in front of the fireplace with a nice big bowl of gazpacho. <laughs> Stupid assholes. That's who, that's who. You know, really, gazpacho is just V eight. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, 